Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Before we get started with today's session, I wanted to share a really amazing resource with you. A question that everyone has, a problem that everybody deals with is, how do I focus within my prayer? How do I enjoy my salah? Well, the answer to that question, the solution to that problem is actually quite straightforward and simple. If we understand what we say within our prayer, we'll be able to focus on it, internalize it, and actually get back to enjoying our conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We created a solution to make this possible. It's called Meaningful Prayer. This is a course, a curriculum, a seminar, a workshop that I taught in over a hundred locations all across this country and even in other countries. Tens of thousands of people have taken this course and it has really turned around, transformed their relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Well now, inshallah, you can take the Meaningful Prayer course online. You can take it according to your own schedule, at your own leisure. You can pace yourself. You can go back and review lessons multiple times to really be able to internalize them. Go to MeaningfulPrayer.com to sign up. Share this resource with others so that we can get back to not only just offering our prayers or performing our salah, but we can go back to experiencing a conversation and relationship with Allah. Now, to get on to today's session, inshallah, we're going to be covering the Shama'il Muhammadiyah, the prophetic personality. The following session was recorded at the Seerah Intensive. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah, wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Inshallah, continuing with the chapter that we were studying, chapter number 56. بَابُ مَا جَاءَ فِي رُؤْيَةِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمَ فِي النَّوْمِ Inshallah, we're going to be starting with the fifth hadith of the chapter. قَالَ الْمُصَنِّفُ حَدَّثَنَا مُحَمَّدُ بْنُ بَشَّارِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا إِبْنُ أَبِي عَدِي وَمُحَمَّدُ بْنُ جَعْفَرِ قَالَ حَدَّثَنَا عَوْفُ بْنُ أَبِي جَمِيلًا عَنْ يَزِيدَ زمن ابن عباس رضي الله تعالى عنهما قال فقلت لابن عباس إني رأيت رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم في النوم فقال ابن عباس إن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم كان يقول إن الشيطان لا يستطيع أن يتشبه بي فمن رآني في النوم فقد رآني هل تستطيع أن تنعت هذا الرجل الذي رأيته في النوم قال نعم أنعت لك رجلا بين الرجلين جسمه ولحمه أسمر إلى الأبيض أكحل العينين حسن الضحك جميل دوائر الوجه ملأت لحيته ما بين هذه إلى هذه قد ملأت نحره قال عوف ولا أدري ما كان مع هذه النعت فقال ابن عباس لو رأيته في اليقظة ما استطعت أن تنعته فوق هذا قال أبو عيسى ويزيد الفارسي هو يزيد بن هرمز وهو أقدم من يزيد الرقاشي وروى يزيد الفارسي عن ابن عباس أحاديثا ويزيد الرقاشي لم يدرك ابن عباس وهو يزيد بن أبان الرقاشي وهو يروي عن أنس بن مالك رضي الله تعالى عنه ويزيد الفارسي ويزيد الرقاشي كلاهما من أهل البصرة وعوف بن أبي جميلة هو عوف الأعرابي 
In this narration, a man by the name of Yazid al-Farisi, rahimahullah ta'ala, and it starts off by mentioning that he used to write the Mus'haf. He used to write the Mus'haf, like he would actually write, transcribe uh, the Qur'an. So he would write down the Qur'an for people to be able to read from. And just as a little point here, the reason why that is noted about this person, the reason why that's being mentioned is, as Ibn Hajar writes, إِشَارَةٌ إِلَىٰ بَرَكَةِ عِلْمِهِ وَحِلْمِهِ um, that this is basically complimenting the person and noting the fact that this was a person who was known to be very knowledgeable about the Qur'an and about the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And this is also known to be somebody who was very pious and righteous. So it's mentioning as a credential of his that he was amongst the people at his time in the era of the tabi'un who would actually be trusted with writing and transcribing the Qur'an. It goes on to say that he says... I saw the Prophet ﷺ in a dream during the time of Ibn Abbas. So he was one of the students of Abdullah ibn Abbas. And he says that while Abdullah ibn Abbas was still alive, I had the uh, experience of seeing the Prophet ﷺ in a dream. So he goes on to say that I mentioned to Ibn Abbas that I saw the Prophet ﷺ in my dream. Ibn Abbas ﷺ, he then said that the Prophet ﷺ used to say, as we have read in numerous narrations before, that the shaitan does not possess the ability to be able to impersonate, present himself as the Messenger of Allah ﷺ. That the Prophet ﷺ said, shaitan cannot impersonate me. And then the Prophet ﷺ goes on to say, as we've also read in previous narrations, so, whom, so whosoever has seen me in their dream has in fact actually seen me. Then Abdullah bin Abbas, from here are the words of Abdullah bin Abbas, he says that, can you describe this man that you claim to have seen in your dream? Now, when we were talking about this subject previously, we had talked about how actually majority of the scholars are of the opinion that once somebody kind of has that sense, either it's that intuition or it is maybe something that is uh, hinted at within the dream itself that the person has seen the Prophet ﷺ, then in fact the person has seen the Prophet ﷺ. However, there is a school of thought, there are some scholars of the opinion that what that narration actually means is if you see someone who actually matches the description of the Prophet ﷺ, then and only then is it the Prophet ﷺ. Otherwise, there could still be uh, some trickery on the part of shaitan. That's one particular school of thought. This narration supports that idea. Because Abdullah bin Abbas ﷺ, the way he asked the question, he goes, describe to me this man that you claim to have seen in a dream. So he says, yes, uh, what I would describe to you is a man between two men. Rajulan bayna rajulaini, a man between two men. What does that exactly mean? This is an expression in the Arabic language, and what it means is that this was somebody who was, physically speaking, was very moderate in his physical appearance. And as we've read in the earlier chapters of the Shama'il, at the beginning of the text, um, it, there are chapters dedicated to this, which describe the Prophet ﷺ that laysa bit tawil al-ba'in, that he was not extremely, like, you know, very, very extremely tall, to the point where it was a bit uh, either, you know, intimidating or a bit uh, shocking. 
um, like he didn't tower over people, nor was the Prophet ﷺ short. But rather the Prophet ﷺ was of more average height, even though some of the narrations do mention that he was just a slight bit above average. That when he stood in a group of more average you know, uh, height people or average sized people, he was usually the tallest amongst the group, but by very little. That's fine, this doesn't contradict that, but it's still within the average range of height. Similarly, when it talks about the physical build of the Prophet ﷺ, the way that it's mentioned is that the Prophet ﷺ was not very, very thin, but at the same time the Prophet ﷺ was also not very, very large either. But the Prophet ﷺ had a very moderate kind of build, the more, what, we, what we would describe a lot of times as just a very sturdy, strong type of build. And that's how the Prophet ﷺ is described. So when he says, رَجُلًا بَيْنَ الرَّجُلَيْنِ he means the Prophet ﷺ was very moderate, was very average in that sense. Like he did not seem shocking one way or another. Then he goes on to say the next description that he mentions, which also is covered extensively in the other chapters, is that jismuhu wa lahmuhu asmar ila al-abyad. This is describing the skin tone of the Prophet ﷺ. That what I saw was that the Prophet ﷺ was also once again of a very... Uh, kind of a mixed or blended kind of skin tone. He was not very dark, nor was he very, very light toned in terms of his skin. But the Prophet ﷺ was more um, kind of like in a blended type of skin tone. Akhalul Ainain. Now, kuhul, and of course, all these items have been talked about extensively. Kuhul refers to the antimony that is applied within the eyes, not quite eyeliner. Uh, so I want anyone who's part of an 80s punk rock band to calm down. But uh, um, it's not quite eyeliner. It doesn't say the Prophet ﷺ looked like he had eyeliner on. All right. Um, but that antimony that is applied, that is usually done for the health of the eyes and things like that. Particularly uh, in the desert region, it had a lot of benefits and stuff with the sand and things like that blowing about. Uh, where basically it would kind of gather and collect a lot of the dust and things like that off to the side of the eyes. Um, but what it would do is it would just sometimes add like a little bit more uh, kind of depth to a person's eye. But the Prophet ﷺ looked like that. He did sometimes used to apply that. But interestingly, just in case folks are confused by that, the Prophet ﷺ did not apply it during the daytime. He would apply it at nighttime. He wouldn't go out with it on. But he applied it at nighttime as more of kind of just like a remedy for the eyes. Um, but nevertheless... Even when the Prophet ﷺ didn't have it on, he hadn't applied it, it looked like as if he had. So what this maybe means is that the eyes of the Prophet ﷺ kind of had, were a little bit dark. Um, but more so, as I mentioned in the earlier chapter that talks about this in more detail, many of the scholars explained that even this is an, a, bit, a type of an expression. And what it basically means is that the eyes of the Prophet ﷺ were very deep. Like when you looked in his eyes or you looked at him, his eyes were very striking, were very deep kind of just pulled you in, that he had that look. The next thing it mentions is, Hasanu Dahik, that the Prophet ﷺ had a beautiful smile. The Prophet ﷺ had a beautiful smile. And it wasn't just a fa- and, and the smile of the Prophet ﷺ was such, where his face is described, Talaqul Waj, like the Prophet ﷺ, his face was very welcoming, very kind of inviting. It was very, you know, he didn't frown and he didn't scowl. And, and he didn't, you know, kind of, uh, you know, squint and make eyes or make faces at people. But the Prophet ﷺ was very welcoming, very kind of open-faced and welcoming, very inviting. And so the Prophet ﷺ had a beautiful smile. And of course, what we know is not only did he have a beautiful smile, but the Prophet ﷺ smiled all the time. Jamilu dawa'il al-wajh. 
Now, da'irah, dawa'id is a plural of da'irah, and that basically means circular. But dawa'id, when it's used in the plural in classical Arabic like this, what it basically means is that kind of the proportions of the face. That the Prophet's face was very well proportioned, very balanced, very beautiful. Mala'at lihyatuhu ma bayna hadhihi ila hadhihi. Now this is a place where the narrator, his actions are kind of synced with the words. There are some actions that are also narrated along with the words. And what the narrator basically said was, when he says, uh, He was pointing to his ears. That he said that the beard of the Prophet ﷺ was full, was from here to here. Like it was, it was basically what he's describing is that the Prophet ﷺ had a very full beard. And then he says, قَدْ مَلَأَتْ نَحْرَهُ And it also basically filled up the space under his chin. This is, so it's describing that the, the beard of the Prophet ﷺ was of a good size and it was also very thick, it was also very full. Um, and the, the narrations basically say that you couldn't like see through the beard of the Prophet ﷺ, that he had a very thick beard. And another thing that that also refers to is that the Prophet ﷺ used to comb and groom his beard. He would apply oil and he would comb his beard and keep it very nice and kept together. The next thing it mentions, then Auf, basically he now continues on, and he says that, وَلَا أَدْرِي مَا كَانَ مَعَ هَذِهِ النَّعْتِ So the narrator, he then goes on to say that, and along with this, um, I, don't, I can't give you any other descriptions along with what I've already told you. Like that's the extent of what I can recall from my dream. Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu ta'ala anhuma basically informs him and also congratulates him, by saying that if you would have seen him in real life, you probably wouldn't have been able to describe him any better than you just did. Which he was basically saying, you have actually seen and do recall the Prophet ﷺ in his truest form. Now, um, the rest of the, the little section that's at the bottom there, that is Imam At-Tirmidhi just basically providing some commentary on the actual chain of narration itself. And what he's doing is he's creating some clarity because there were two famous tabi'un. They are both very prolific narrators of the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. One was known as Yazid al-Farisi and the other one's known as Yazid al-Raqashi. Now, there was a lot of confusion, many... Uh, many students of hadith used to confuse uh, them for one another. Some actually were, uh, were even confused to the point where they thought they were the same person. Because they're, both of their names are Yazid and they also lived in the city of Basra. They were both from Basra. But in reality, these were two different people. One, the one who narrates is Yazid al-Farisi. He was a student of Abdullah bin Abbas. And the other, Yazid al-Raqashi, was actually a student of Anas ibn Malik. So Imam Tirmidhi, just for students of hadith, he's clarifying the fact that these are actually two different narrators and do not confuse uh, one for the other. In the next narration, hadith number six, قال المصنف حدثنا أبو داود سليمان بن سلم البلخي قال حدثنا النضر بن شميل قال قال عوف الأعرابي أن أكبر من قتادة. Imam Tirmidhi brings this particular narration once again for more discussion on the asanid on the chains of narration, and what he basically mentions here is that عوف. So what I want everyone to do is I want I'll just point this out even though as I've mentioned before. Um, just my own terminology, but this is a little bit more hadith nerdiness. Um, 
But if you go back to the previous narration, there's something very interesting. The person who's having the conversation with Abdullah bin Abbas, his name is Yazid, Yazid al-Farisi. Towards the end of the narration though, there's a man named Auf who kind of chimes in. So where did this guy Auf come from and who is this guy? Right? So that's the question. And he says in the footnotes at the bottom that Auf ibn Abi Jamila who Auf nil Arabi. This man was his name was Auf ibn Abi Jamila, but he was more popularly known as Auf al Arabi, Auf the Bedouin. Um, and why does he come in? How does he come in? Who exactly is he? That's why Imam Tirmidhi brings the next chain of narration to basically establish the fact that Auf was one of the senior students of Abdullah bin Abbas. So when Yazid and Abdullah bin Abbas were having this conversation, Auf was present and that's why he chimes in and he narrates it. And the way that he establishes the seniority of Auf amongst the students of Abdullah bin Abbas is he brings that narration, narration number six, in which Auf basically says, I am older than Qatada. I am older than Qatada. Why is that noteworthy? Qatada is maybe the most prolific student of Abdullah bin Abbas. Qatada is maybe the most noteworthy student of Abdullah bin Abbas. And Auf being even senior to Qatada basically establishes his place as a senior student of Abdullah bin Abbas. And going back to the previous narration, now what that does is when Auf chimes in, this is not the fact that somebody has kind of hijacked the narration, somebody else has come in and taken over, but he was one of the senior students of Abdullah bin Abbas. Think of him almost as like a TA of Abdullah bin Abbas. And so that's why he was present at the time of the conversation and he also narrates the conversation that occurred. Hadith number seven. قال حدثنا عبد الله بن أبي زناد قال حدثنا يعقوب بن إبراهيم بن سعد قال حدثنا ابن أخي ابن شهاب الزهري عن عمه قال قال أبو سلمة قال أبو قتادة قال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم من رآني يعني في النوم فقد رآ الحق In this particular uh, version of the narration the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم as narrated by Abu Qatada the Prophet ﷺ says that the Prophet ﷺ said, Whosoever has seen me, in meaning, and then he kind of adds in, meaning in his dream, then has in, in fact seen the truth. Now that's a quite literal translation. Has seen the truth. What does that exactly mean? So when you use the word al-haqqa in a context and you use it as a direct object, as a maf'ul in a context... What that basically means is that you're confirming the statement. And so the way to understand it is, أَيْ رَآ الْأَمْرَ الْحَقَّ أَيْ الثَّابِتْ الْمُتَحَقِّقَ الَّذِي هُوَ أَنَا لَلْأَمْرُ الْمَوْهُومَ الْمُتَخَيَّلِ That what that basically means is that the Prophet ﷺ is saying, whosoever has seen me in a dream has in fact actually seen me and does not need to doubt that. And it is not that the person's mind is playing tricks on them or that shaitan is trying to delude them because that's something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has protected the legacy of the Prophet ﷺ from. That the Prophet ﷺ cannot just simply be, um, you know, uh, imitated or impersonated by shaitan. And similarly, even the vision of the Prophet ﷺ is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is preserved by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even the human mind cannot just kind of conjure up. Uh, Allah has prohibited even the mind from being able to just kind of manifest or conjure up something and just assume it to be the Prophet ﷺ. The next narration, hadith number eight. 
قال المصنف حدثنا عبد الله ابن عبد الرحمن دارمي قال حدثنا معلى ابن أسد قال حدثنا عبد العزيز بن المختار قال حدثنا ثابت عن أنس رضي الله تعالى عنه أن رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم قال من رآني في المنام فقد رآني فإن الشيطان لا يتخيل بي وقال والرؤيا المؤمن جزء من ستة وأربعين جزءا من النبوة In this particular narration, uh, before I translate it, there's a particular kind of fa'idah that's mentioned here. The, scholar, the person that Imam Tirmidhi narrates from is a very famous scholar of Hadith al-Darmi, who was one of the teachers of Imam al-Tirmidhi. Um, and his narrations are quite reputable. Um, and so this is one of the, you know, I guess you can say credentials of Imam al-Tirmidhi that he directly narrates from in a prolific scholar of Hadith of the caliber of al-Darmi. Nevertheless, Anas radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he says in this narration that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, He who has seen me in a dream has in fact seen me because shaitan is not able to impersonate me. Then he quotes a different hadith, waqala. A waqala fi hadith an akhar. It's a different narration. But Imam Tirmidhi has it through the same chain of narration, so he kind of transitions. These are almost like codes uh, in hadith terminology, where he's basically transitioning to another narration that he gets through the same chain of narrators. And that narration says that the Prophet ﷺ said, so it is not the same narration. These are two separate hadith. It is not a continuation of the same hadith. But Imam Tirmidhi mentions it here with the code of waqal, because it comes through the same chain, the same individuals, the same route. And this particular hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, the Prophet ﷺ says, and the good dream of a believer is 146th of a portion from prophethood. Is a 146th portion of prophethood. Now this particular narration, obviously the, the, the first narration we've talked about extensively what that means. The last one is obviously where the curiosity lies, where, where we want to understand exactly what it means and what it's saying there. This particular narration, just to kind of clarify, um, because obviously when people hear things like this and they're sometimes a bit curious, maybe even taken aback, this is an extremely authentic narration. It's found in all the major books of hadith, including the Sahih of Imam Bukhari, the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, um, along with many other different uh, compilations of hadith. But essentially what I wanted to mention is that this is a hadith that is thoroughly authenticated and Imam Bukhari has placed it in his Sahih. So there's no skepticism there. Rather, more so what needs to be understood is that, what does that mean that a good dream of a believer is 146th of prophethood? There's a lot of commentary and a lot of discussion as to what that exactly means. Imam Malik, rahimullah ta'ala, has a very famous explanation of what this hadith is saying. And after, once again, as I had kind of mentioned previously, that after going through quite an extensive you know, survey of a lot of different commentary, um, many of the scholars have preferred Imam Malik's explanation, and that, was, that is what seems to make the most sense. Imam Malik rahimullahu ta'ala, he was asked one time, لَمَّا سُئِلَ أَيُعَبِّرُ, أيعبر, أيعبر رُؤْيَا كُلُّ أَحَدٍ That 
should anyone interpret a dream? Can just anyone interpret a dream? And Imam Malik, rahimahullahu ta'ala, he said, Abin nubuwati al-abu. Abin nubuwati al-abu. You play around with prophethood. And then he goes on to explain. He says, Ar-ru'ya juz'um min al-nubuwa. Dreams are a part of prophethood. لِيَنَّهُ لَمْ يَرِدْ أَنَّهَا نُبُوَّةً بَاقِيَةً But rather, um, what we find is that prophethood basically ended, and this is the only element of prophethood that remains. So he go, so the explanation is, بَلْ أَنَّهَا لَمَّا أَشْبَهْتَهَا مِنْ جِهَةِ الْإِطْلَاعِ عَلَى بَعْضِ الْغَيْبِ لَا يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَتَكَلَّمَ فِيهَا بِغَيْرِ عِلْمٍ فَكَذَلِكَ الشِّبْهُ سُمِّيَتْ جُزْءٌ مِّنَ النُّبُوَّةِ وَلَا يَلْزِمْ مِنْ إِثْبَاتِ الْجُزْءِ لِشَيْءٍ إِثْبَاتُ الْكُلِّ لَهُ So it goes on to explain, but Imam Malik is basically, what he's saying is this. If you look at all the different forms of divine revelation and divine inspiration the Prophet used to receive, all right, which we studied in the beginning of the study of the seerah. That the Prophet ﷺ, Jibreel ﷺ would come to him in his true physical form. Jibreel ﷺ would come to him in human form. Sometimes the inspiration would directly, the, the wording, the words of God himself, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Qur'an, would directly be inserted into the heart of the Prophet ﷺ. And one of the forms of that uh, divine revelation or divine communication was that the Prophet ﷺ would have a dream. And we see this with other prophets as well in the Quran as it's mentioned, the dream of Yusuf alayhi salam, we see the dream of Ibrahim alayhi salam, in Yarafil Manami and Yadbahuka Fandurmadatara, right? So that was a form of revelation, that was a form of inspiration, divine inspiration to the prophets of God. So what Imam Malik basically is explaining about this particular hadith is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala or the Prophet here is saying that the only element of that prophethood that remains in this world is a good dream that a believer has. And what that basically means is that, as I had mentioned yesterday in the previous session as well, that dreams, because sleep is the sister of death, and dreams are kind of, in a sense, almost a connection or a bridge to the unseen. And so what, trans- what, what people see in a dream and what occurs to people in a dream, and what people are exposed to in a dream, is not so easily understandable all the time, and cannot always be completely, totally, and accurately interpreted just by anyone. But basically, the interpretation of dreams should be treated as something very, very carefully. Prophets were granted the ability to be able to interpret dreams. Nobody else, obviously, prophethood ended. There's no other prophets. And so no one else after the Prophet ﷺ will totally and accurately be able to interpret dreams. And so the Prophet ﷺ, by saying that dreams are 146th of the portion of prophethood, one of the ways to interpret it, as Imam Malik did, is that we should. it's a cautionary note. It's a cautionary note that do not delve too far into dreams. Do not try to interpret too much from dreams. Don't try to understand everything that you see in your sleep because you just won't be able to because you have a limited amount of knowledge. You have limited access to knowledge. You do not have channels of divine revelation and inspiration and you're not going to be able to make sense of everything completely. That's the primary interpretation that the ulama and the scholars have given and that's the interpretation of Imam Malik. A secondary explanation of this is, and, and I wanted to mention before I actually move on to the other explanations, part of also what corroborates this 
is there are other narrations, authentic narrations as well, which are a little bit different. There are other variations of this. There's a narration in Sahih Muslim, in which it says, min khamsatin wa arba'in, 145th. Is that a 146th? 145th. There's another narration as well, uh, in Sahih Muslim, that also mentions, min sab'ina juz'an, 170th. There's a weaker narration, um, that is found in the book of Tabarani that mentions min sittatin wa sab'ina, 176th. And Ibn Abdul Barr has a narration that says min sittatin wa ishrina, 126th. And Imam al Nawawi also mentions a narration min arba'atin wa ishrina, 124th. And basically, what that tells you. And again, I've kind of commented on this before, that the Arabs were not very particularly, you know, it was not a part of the Arabic language and the culture. They, didn't, they weren't very uh, numbers oriented. They, were not, they didn't really obsess over numbers. So all these other narrations, and the majority of them also being authentic, basically alludes to the idea and alludes to the fact where you, um, that this is more so about takthir la at-tahdeed. That this seems to point to the fact that the Prophet ﷺ is basically trying to say dreams are a very small part, 146, a very small part of what prophethood is. Not the bulk, not the majority, not most of prophethood. It's a very small part of prophethood. That the, the obsession is not so much with the number, but it's more so just referring to an idea that dreams are a small part of prophethood. Nevertheless, they are something that prophets have a more uh, unique access to, and it's something that the rest of us should not really obsess over too much. The other interpretations of this, which again are scholarly interpretations, so they're fine, is that what, what's being mentioned here is that the Prophet ﷺ Right, as the Quran mentions that the Prophet ﷺ came to us with the Quran. And the Prophet ﷺ brought to us a reminder from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he brought us wisdom from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that prophetic wisdom, that Quranic guidance has basically concluded. Meaning it's still present with, with us, but it doesn't go on, it doesn't increase. We have what we have. That the only thing that will continue on that we will still be given encouragement through, added encouragement through, is basically dreams. And there's a hadith that Abu Huraira radiallahu ta'ala anhu narrates, in which he says, لَمْ يَبَقَ مِنَ النُّبُوَّةِ إِلَّا الْمُبَشِّرَاتِ That the only thing that remains active from the time of the Prophet ﷺ is al-mubashirat. They asked him, مَا mubashirat? What does mubashirat mean? And the Prophet ﷺ said, الرُّؤْيَا الصَّالِحَةِ يَرَاهَا الرَّجُلُ الْمُسْلِمُ أَوْ لَهُ Good dreams that a believer sees or that are shown to a believer. And this is a hadith of Bukhari. It's an authentic narration. So that's the second interpretation of what that means for dreams to be 146th of prophethood. That this is the only thing from the life of the Prophet ﷺ that has actually like actively been given to each and every single one of us. That we all have this small little sliver of what part of prophethood was, and we all carry it with us, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala provides us encouraging, motivational, inspirational dreams. Um, and that's something that continues on to encourage us. And then the last interpretation, which uh, many of the scholars have commented, and maybe folks have come across this before, is that because the narration of 146th, 
is the most popular version of this narration. It's found in Sahih Bukhari, along with a ton of other books. Some scholars have basically kind of extracted from that, that what that refers to is, how long was the era of prophethood? 23 years. And we read about the fact that the Prophet ﷺ, that the very first kind of prophetic experience of the life of the Prophet ﷺ was that he would have he would have these true dreams. These true dreams. And that lasted, the narrations that we read in Sirah, that lasted for how long? Six months. So do the math. All right, 23 years, six months, so 146th. All right? So many blank stares, so disappointing. All right? <laughs> Mashallah. All right. <laughs> the Prophet ﷺ, he said that we are an ummi nation. All right? It seems to be taken literally by some. All right. So with that, what I'd like to explain here in terms of what you're looking at in your text there are two narrations that are left, 9 and 10. Technically speaking, the chapter has ended. Technically speaking, the chapter has ended. These last two narrations are basically Imam Tirmidhi's conclusion to the entire Shama'il, to the compilation of the Shama'il. So we're going to go ahead and stop here. This is where the chapter ends. And then inshallah, what we'll talk about in the last session uh, the next session, inshallah, is these last two uh, quotes that are mentioned as a conclusion to the overall text and the compilation of the Shama'il. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the ability to practice everything we've said and heard. Subhanallah bihamdihi, subhanakallah bihamdik. Nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nasafir wa natubu ilaykum.